Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the songs we've just heard and sung. And for the message of vision, of your kingdom, and of your love for us. That in the night, our hope lives on through you. When we think about our neighbors here in Nebraska who may have lost everything of material value to them. Or at least it's all wet or covered by mud. And we think about all those that are already helping and will continue to help. We pray that in the name of Jesus they would have hope. But as Pastor David drew the analogy for us, that sometimes our lives feel like that too. The floodwaters come up and all we can do is watch. God, we trust your providence, your sovereignty. We know you have a plan, but more so we trust your love for us and that you will carry us through. We thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, amen. Questions. Where is a question of location? What is a question of need or ability? How? It's about process. Who is about people? When? About timing. But why? Why may be the most important question. It's a question about motivation. It's the existential question. And so today we'll seek to begin answering the question, why giving to grow? Why would you, why would I, why would we as a body of believers choose to give sacrificially above and beyond the tithes that we're already giving in order to grow our church? We'll talk about that more in a moment, but I want to show a few pictures just from yesterday in Valley, Nebraska. Now, this was those of us that started out at the United Faith Community Church in Valley. And Nikki Riley in the front there in the Husker jacket and John Mark. And then Pastor Cho, our Korean church pastor there. And then in the back are the Davises. I ride bikes most Saturday morning with Brent Davis and some other guys. And I said, dude, I'm not going to be able to ride a bike this Saturday morning. I'm going to Valley to help. You want to come? He brought his family. So we had Catholics helping us Baptist, right? But there are all sorts of folks there. The Jansen family was added later. Jail and Pamela Schmidt were there as well. So I think there were like 25 of us from Southview up in Valley yesterday. So show that next picture then, Sam. Um, I had to get a cold one at lunch. <laughs> Just so you know, it was water. It was only water. Uh, and I tell you, it was a good tasting water. I don't know what Anheuser-Busch puts in that water, but it was pretty nice. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, John Mark took one home, but did you crack it open yet, John Mark? Oh, he, he wanted to bring one home as a souvenir, but... It was amazing to see the outpouring of support from my trip up there with Larry Zimmerman to scope things out Thursday and to see this one church building of about 4,000 square foot that was just filled with stuff. You could go shopping for free. By the time we came back yesterday, there was cases of water piled outside and the stuff inside was now piled as high as your shoulders, not as high as your belly button. And 
volunteers all over the town. People with a truck just going and stopping randomly, picking up stuff off of someone's curb, carrying it to the dumpster. We were literally at one point going door to door saying, do you need any help? Do you need any help? We spent the most time in one basement, and I want to ask you to continue to pray for Valley because we got it all cleaned out, had it squeegeed out. We went to lunch where I enjoyed the cold one, among other things. And when we came back to finish the job and, uh, you know, spray it down and treat it, water had come back up into the basement. The water table is so high, so it's not done yet in Valley. But I want to show you this next picture. Uh, this is the lady who, if you saw on TV, Miss Karen, who we helped, and Nikki visited with her most of the day in a kind of a pastoral counseling, just being a friend, talking about her life role. And Karen was so grateful for our assistance. And uh, if you hadn't already, you can look on Channel 8's website and see at least one of the stories that included us they had too. And then the next picture. Late in the day, um, I went back to the place where they were dispatching volunteers. I said, we need a job to do. And they said, there's one that's way out here. It's out by the Elkhorn River. It's outside of town. You're going to have to hike in like a half mile because it's impassable by car. We're like, well, we got our rubber boots on. And um, this person really needs help. It's just her. And she didn't want to be shown. But I said, well, can I take a picture of your feet walking through? Her house was out by the Elkhorn River with the Rawhide Creek behind it. And she had water come into her house four feet high. Look at the next picture. If you notice, this is her rear window pane, right? And you notice along the mutton that separates the panes there in the sash, there are little something that looks like pebbles across the top. Those aren't pebbles. That's cat food. Her cat food floated up on top of the water, and as the water was draining out the back of her house, it settled against that window pane. You notice about two inches above that cat food, you see some speckles on the glass. That's the high water mark in her house. Her name's Amy. That's my sister's name. I said, Amy, they've assured me in town that they're going to have help to you tomorrow. They wanted me to at least take a look, bring back pictures and show. And she says, I've got to get all this stuff out of my house. And we've got to pressure wash it and treat it so I don't get mold. She's an artist. And she lives out there uh, in this, you know, kind of free-flowing settlement. She even had one picture that said, hippies use the back door. I mean, she was a cool kind of gal. We might be taking a trip back out to help Amy. We could not get in the side room of her house because a refrigerator had floated up and tilted sideways and was blocking two doors at the same time. And uh, we worked and worked and worked. And finally, with Jason and I and a little help from John Mark and Miss Amy, got her in that room and she began to rebuild. But we need to continue to pray for the folks in Valley and all over the state of Nebraska. And when you can go, go. When you can give, give. Uh, But we can always pray. Always. It's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, I believe. Preach the gospel. Use words if necessary. Our scripture memory verse for the month reminds us of that. And let's say it together as it comes on the screen here. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. 2 Timothy 4.2 We have our assignment as believers in Jesus. We preach the word. We're prepared at all times. We use God's word to both correct, rebuke, and encourage. And we do it with great patience 
and careful instruction. It's how, it's what we're to do and how we are to do it. But our question today is answer the why. Why would we want to do something called Giving to Grow? Well, Giving to Grow as a name and as a program, if you will, in our church started almost two decades ago when there was the need to buy the North property. And that North property, that field right out there, we don't own the house that sits between ours and the, uh, our main building in the prayer chapel. But all the rest of that property, all the way up to Arapahoe from 13th to 14th, is ours. And we bought that property for $500,000, and this church, within a short amount of time, raised $80,000 to make a down payment on that. And we had a program to pay off that loan called Giving to Grow. When I arrived as pastor 13 and a half years ago, we still had a couple hundred thousand dollars debt, and we talked about that, and we paid it off within a few years, and we saved the church $120,000 in interest. I was like, woohoo, we did it! Some of you have continued to give to Giving to Grow throughout the years. And that fund there is still there and has over $100,000 in it now. Our cross is a cell phone tower that generates $800 a month plus an income. That money goes into Giving to Grow. We felt like that would continue to fund that. But we have needs in our church that we'll get to in our final point of my sermon today that go beyond what we can fund through our budget and go beyond what we have in hand right now. So you'll hear today some details. You can see some details out on the bulletin board. We're going to have continuing uh, information going to you as it comes available. You'll receive a letter this week about giving and a pledge card in there to ask you to consider that. And on April the 2nd, we'll have an open house in which we'll sit around and share as much information as we know about the projects that we'll do, that you can come and see what we know and ask questions about how and why and all those sort of things. And then on uh, Celebration Sunday, Palm Sunday, April 14th, we're going to have a special worship service in which we celebrate. And like in we see in the Old Testament, the bringing of offerings, we're going to have you on that Sunday bring down your pledge card. And if you're able to and desire to, to make a special one-time gift that Sunday as well. Then we're not going to have Sunday school for anybody on April the 14th. Children, nursery, everything will be closed at the Sunday school hour. We'll all be in the fellowship hall. And we're going to have a continental breakfast, and that'll be great. While some extra special counters will be counting up our pledge cards and counting up our offerings that day to come back in before we leave and to say, here's the amount of money that was given today, and here's the amount of money that's pledged over the next year. And then we're going to go, woohoo! You guys didn't get too excited about that. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it scares you. I mean, if I'm honest, it kind of scares me a little bit too because I'm like, I know what our need is going to be. I can imagine that. Might as well just tell you. As best we know, and we're still waiting for contractor numbers to come in, because it just takes longer than you think it should, our total need is going to be somewhere between two hundred and sixty dollars to $300,000 to do the four major projects I'm going to outline for you at the end of my sermon today. And so we've got a hundred and change already. So we know we're going to need to raise $140,000 uh, to $180,000. And can we do that in one year's time? Maybe so. If we give, if all of us give as we're able to, if all of us give sacrificially, I believe we can. But it's a little scary. 
So today we want to talk about that vision. Next week we're going to talk about how we are doing in growing Christ followers because that's our purpose as a church. It's your first point in your outline we'll get to in a moment. And look at our results from a natural church development survey and talk about our values as a church and how that plays in. Then two weeks from today, we'll talk about uh, what are we doing now in emphasis, special emphasis to grow Christ followers so that it's not just raising money, but it's growing the people that are giving the money and gathering more people in in a special emphasis this year. That'll be two weeks from now. And then three weeks from now is Celebration Sunday. I'm not exactly sure what I'll be preaching on then, but we'll see when we get there. So turning your attention to your sermon outline this morning, our purpose, our purpose as a church, the purpose of Southview Baptist Church is to grow Christ followers. You might see that sometimes as growing Christ followers, but our purpose is to grow Christ followers. That is why we exist. And you've heard me say it before. You've heard me say it again. You're going to hear me say it now. The reason we say that is there's two, per- two ways we use that. One is as a noun, that we are growing as Christ followers. The other is as a verb. We do things to grow Christ followers. And that is our purpose. A Christ follower is a disciple of Jesus, a student, an apprentice, a learner. And that's why we exist. It's what we do. It's who we are. Two scriptures I shared with you a few weeks ago, I'll share again. Psalm 138, verse 8 says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Lord, your love is eternal. Do not abandon the work of your hands. There are times in our personal lives, times in our church life, we feel like God has abandoned us. We feel like the floodwaters are rising and we can't do anything else. We get the diagnosis of cancer. We get the bill we weren't expecting because something's happened with our house or our car. But God will fulfill his purpose for us. If you didn't write that down, that's Psalm 138, verse 8. Psalm 57, 2 says, I call to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. When the psalmist says God most high, he is saying, in other words, he's the God of all gods. He's the sovereign God over all creation. And when I call to that God, the God of all gods, he is the God most high. When I lived in South Africa, the Zulu people had a word for God. And you've heard it before if you've been here a while. It's Nkulu Nkulu. Nkulu Nkulu is the way they'd say it. N-K-U-L-U. That means great with another grade on it. Literally, the, South, uh, the, the Zulu people in South Africa, had their name for God was the great, the great. And that's who we're talking about here, that God who is the one God, sovereign. And that's the God that's going to assure who you are and what you're doing and the way that you live. Our purpose is to grow Christ followers. I had a unique experience this week early in the week. Last Sunday, after I left here, I went straight away to the Journey House at Tabitha. It's a hospice care facility. Some of you may have been there, had families there. And I visited with Bill Brewster, who attends our church many times and sits on the pew with us. He's a family friend. And his mom, Maydine, who is almost 81 years old. And Maydine had had a surgery a little more than a month ago, but since then she hadn't eaten. And she was growing very weak and had just been put on hospice care. 
And I knew her family members had talked to her about this, but I figured I'm going to give it a shot. I asked Bill, is it okay if I talk to her? You know, she seems to respect me. She's very kind and gracious to me as a pastor um, in that courteous uh, sort of way that many people treat pastors. But I thought, I think she'll listen. And so I said, Bill, is it okay if I talk to your mom this way? He said, absolutely. He says, we've all tried. Give it your best shot, Aaron. So we go into the room, and we're chit-chatting about this, that, and the other. How are you doing, Miss Maydeen? She was with it. She was alive. She was awake. And we're talking about her life. And uh, I said, Miss Maydeen, how are you feeling? She said, well, I, I just can't do anything. I said, well, tell me what you mean by that. She says, I can't walk. I said, Miss Maydeen, you know, you got to eat in order to have some energy so that you can do some exercises, so you can learn to walk. This is a lady that just months ago was snow-blowing everybody's yard, and before that, uh, mowing multiple yards and raking leaves. She's a whirlwind, okay? And she, I said, you know, you got to eat. What, 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 can you tell me, why aren't you eating? And she goes like this. I said, Miss Maydeen, what do you mean? She says, I can't do anything anymore. And I thought, she's given up. And as I'm sitting there, just letting that hang in the air, she says, it's my time. And I looked at Bill. I'm like, oh, my word. She's ready to go. So we transition the conversation to talk about when she trusted Christ as her Savior and talk about eternal security and talk about the fact that because she trusted Jesus as a young lady, even if she may not have gone to church for decades, that she knows that God is real and that He loves her and that there is eternity for her. And, um, I mean, she, she had a joy about her, even though she had just admitted she's ready to go and these sort of things. And I prayed with her, and I hugged her, and I hugged Bill, and I left that place. Bill calls me a few hours later. She had a stroke five minutes after I left. She died the next morning. I said, Bill, I'm so sorry. I didn't know if I had a conversation like that with her that she'd have a stroke and pass away. He said, man, she called it. It was her time. He said, you did just the right thing. He said, it was amazing, Aaron. I'm telling everybody about it. I said, can I tell everybody too? He says, yeah, tell the whole church. They need to know Jesus like that. They need to have that sort of assurance. But the reason I tell that story now is for Miss May Dean, her purpose was to serve others. When I met with her family members beyond Bill and his brother, every one of those children and grandchildren said that she served others. That's what she did. Her love language was acts of service. And what she was saying to me in her own simple way last Sunday afternoon in that hospice bed was, I can't serve like I want to anymore. I'm ready to go. Begs the question for you and I, what's my purpose? What's your purpose? Why do you get up in the morning? What gets you excited? Why do you live? What are the things that take your breath away? Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. The fear Reverence, awe of God is the beginning of wisdom. But it's that purpose that gives us that wisdom as we number our days. Let's go on to your next point on your outline is our vision as a church. 
Our vision is our best understanding of God's preferred future for us. And we refresh this from an earlier version from uh, 2007. This is from 2017. But let's just have Sam fill in the blanks there. That we are a church of growing Christ followers who build a legacy for God by worshiping Him through serving others and sharing the gospel. Our personal relationship with Jesus and one another transform our lives and change our direction. So our vision, what we see that we want to be as a church is we want to be Christ followers who build a legacy. It was wonderful to gather together Friday afternoon and to have received emails and text messages from Maydeen's family members, her grandchildren, to talk about the legacy that she had built through them and the way that she loved them, that they were loving others like they learned from her. We see that happening in our church, the testimony that Linda shared of her children and now her grandchildren, four generations of Nettletons worshiping in our church. What about your family? If God gives you longevity in this town and your job doesn't move you or you don't choose to move because God calls you to go somewhere else, will you be that family that you build that sort of legacy? We're Christ followers. We build a legacy. Of Abraham, Hebrews says in uh, 11, verse 12, Therefore through one man, in fact from one as good as dead, came the offspring as numerous as the stars of the heaven and innumerable as the grains of sand on the seashore. You may not be Abraham. You're not going to have that kind of nation and legacy, but all of us will have a legacy. And most of us, we can say, yes, we have a biological legacy. We have kids, but beyond just the fact that we've had them and they're ours, what values have we taught them? How are they going to live? Deuteronomy 5.29 says, Oh, that they had a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever, that the way that we parent our children helps them see God in proper reverence and respect and to know to keep His commands and that it would go well with them and their children. And we extend that to the church family when we have programs like Sunday School and Awana and Vacation Bible School where we educate and where we love each other's children and we raise them up. It's always a cool thing when a young person trusts Christ as their Savior. If I ask, who have ever taught this child in this church? And you'll see 20 or 30 adults and teenagers stand up for one child. We care for one another. We serve one another. We share the gospel with one another. And our personal relationship with Jesus and with one another transforms us. It changes us. We're different because of that. Transforms a strong word. A metamorphosis. That the old is gone, the new has come because of what God has done through us. So our our town now is, what about our community? When we think about our town, our town now is a little bit more than 300,000 people. But it grows by 3,000 plus people per per year. If you look back over the last 10 years, Lincoln has grown by one point something or other percent every year over the last 10 years. 
So 3,000 plus new people a year move into the city limits of Lincoln. And then you see what's happening in now commuter towns outside of Lincoln. I mean, look at what Hickman used to be and what Hickman is now. Look at what Waverly used to be and Waverly is now. And look at these towns around us. Pastor David and I have a friend who someday will stand on this stage and talk to you about that, that he's called to plant a church in Hickman because there needs to be another church because so many people are moving there. But in Lincoln, 3,000 plus people a year are moving here. If we were to plant a new church with 300 people instantly every year, it would take 10 new churches. Southern Baptists and all the other churches, even if they're not even evangelical, even our ecumenical brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't plant enough church to keep up with our population growth. Our community is growing. We need to invite more people to join us. We need to plant new churches for them to be in. The next fact for us to consider is that most people want a place to belong. I mean, I know that is somewhat, you know, how can you put a number on that, Pastor? Yeah. But we all have that innate desire to belong somewhere within us. That third place beyond our family, beyond our work. That place where we have connection, where we have identity, where we have purpose. But friends, we're called beyond belonging to belief. That the church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth, but we are God's family that make up that pillar and foundation. That's 1 Timothy 3, 15. But we're called to belong, to belong to a church, to belong to others. The Bible puts us together. It says that we're fit together, we're built together, we're held together, we're heirs together, that we're members together. Don't get me started on the one another's. If you look in the New Testament, there are 40 plus different one another scriptures as well that we belong together. But here's kind of the problem with that. And that's the third point that most people also judge by appearances. You know how it is when you first meet somebody, whether you think about it or not, you instantly size them up. You can tell by the way they're dressed, the way they speak, the way they carry themselves where they fit in the scheme of things. And many times your first impression is somewhat right. Social scientists tell us so. Sometimes you're wrong. But that happens even with institutions. It's said to us by folks that study things like church growth and all that, that a guest to our church will make up their decision, their mind about our church within seven minutes of arriving in our parking lot. Okay, so we need to have a nice parking lot. Uh, We need to have some good landscaping. We need to have friendly people at all the doors. Our restrooms need to be clean and not smell bad. And uh, we need to be nice when people come in. Because before we even sing a note, before we even preach a sermon, people have made up their mind about our church. What does that say about our society? Well, I'm not judging that here. I'm just telling you it's a fact that people judge by those appearances. Therefore, in keeping up with those appearances, we need to be mindful of that. And I know it's not just what our building looks like, it's who we are, but there's something to be said for what our building looks like. When we consider our need, that's your fourth and final point there. I would just tell you, and most of you have already, look around and see our aging building. We can be thankful, friends. We've got a building that by and large is in good shape. 
has had good stewardship of it. And we've got a team now with our um, church council and Carl leading the way, Carl Brown on properties and Sarah Caviellas as our custodian and other volunteers to pitch in that we're trying to fix things that weren't done all the way right in the past and uh, some of what is going to happen with our bathroom and kitchen and even um, sanctuary remodel here is because maybe it wasn't engineered right to begin with. But we see some signs that our building is aging. And so our survey responses, can, and that's the next point, confirm those desired improvements. When we asked our church more than a year ago what it was that you look around and you say you would like to see improved, these are the top things that were on the list, that the nursery and children's classrooms needed to be improved. With the excess money that's been in our checking account over the last year, we've been working. We've recarpeted the entire children's wing. We've painted every uh, room. Miss Nora McCracken has done that. I think she's available for hire. If you want to ask her to do that, I'm serious. She did an amazing job. And I'll toot her horn any day because she does a great job. And that's almost finished because we're going to come back and paint the baseboards the same color as the uh, door sills so it all matches. And on Celebration Sunday, we're going to take a little bit of a tour. If you don't normally go back to the children's hallway, we're going to just ask you to walk through and go, wow, this looks nice because it does. And it's got that new carpet smell too. So we've done that. And uh, that's the first thing there. The second thing on your list is our bathrooms. Um, If you walk in our bathrooms, you go, wow, okay. These scream 1980s due to the colors. Country blue in the men's, mauve in the ladies. That's a little dated there, but more than that, it's beginning to show its age. Our paint on our walls, our fixtures, all those sort of things. And have you noticed that the highest point in our bathroom is the drain? So if we do have a flood... And have you noticed in the men's room that if you walk in behind that mirror, there's an electrical panel there? It's not supposed to be there. I mean, at least by code now. So we've got to fix some things like that. We're going to change some uh, things involved in our bathrooms there. And they're going to be good changes. We're going to introduce those to you in the weeks ahead here and show you because our bathrooms will be our first project that we're doing through Giving to Grow. The next thing is our kitchen. It was amazing to me when you think about that we don't have that many fellowships, but when we did this church survey, we had like 20 people say we needed to fix the kitchen. And I thought, well, you know what? Everybody's in there at least once a year washing out coffee pots and stuff like that. So they've been in there and they all know what it's like to stand in line at Easter pageant or when we have a fellowship or something like that. But, you know, you look at the floor, you look at the cabinets, the uh, the way things flow through there. We're going to address all those things and that's going to be completely remodeled as well. And I didn't say, but I guess I should go back and say of the bathroom. We're going to take it down. We're going to take out the concrete. We're going to go down to the studs. It's going to be everything brand new. This is not slapping a coat of paint on it. This is everything brand new. The kitchen going to be the stove and the, what do you call it, um, vent hood are staying. The big refrigerator is staying, but everything else brand new um, because it's time. And then in here. We worship here, and when you worship here, you're kind of up here. But if you're a guest, you come in and you look around and you go, oh, my word, they have stains on their ceiling. What in the world happened there? And if they can't take care of their roof, what else is going wrong around this place? Seriously, this is how people think. Think about it when you go to a church that's not yours. What do you look at? What judgments do you make? 
The good news is we've had the roof fixed, and we know we've had no leaks in here for more than two years and some heavy-duty storm. So the roof is not leaking anymore. But now we've got to address the ceiling. And how to do this could cost us a quarter million dollars to do it one way we heard about. No, thank you. So we've got another way with these lifts that have booms. And you're going to have two of those. And when we get to that, we're going to have to not worship here because they're going to have everything covered up. And those lifts are going to be at work. So we're, I don't know if we're going to worship in the fellowship hall or we're going to rent a hall somewhere. That'll be next year maybe sometime. It'll be amazing to see. But let me just go back through these things real quick for you. Our nursery and children's classroom, that's already done with one little minor detail, and we're going to officially introduce that to you in three weeks. Our bathrooms are the first thing on the list. We've already got almost enough money in hand because they're going to cost about $140,000 to do two bathrooms. I know that's a lot, but we're doing everything. We're fixing stuff that was wrong in the past, making it right and bringing it up to code and completely handicap accessible and all those sort of things. And you'll see those pictures of that in the coming weeks. But those bathrooms, we're going to do those this summer. So this summer, right after Vacation Bible School, you're going to see porta-potties on the parking lot. Seriously. And we're going to have to potty in the parking lot. Um, I mean, so go before you get here if you're embarrassed to walk outside and use a porta-potty. Because that's what it's going to be for four to six weeks while we get those bathrooms completely remodeled. So that before school starts, before Awana starts, we're going to have brand spanking new bathrooms that we're going to go, wow, this is so great. Why did we do this sooner? Okay. Um, he, he works for them. So yeah, we'll talk about that church member discount going on over there. Thank you. We believe a workman's worth is higher, but we're not above asking for a discount, right? That's right. So when we have the money to do a project, we're going to do the project. And then when's the kitchen going to get done? When the money comes in. If we spend all the money that's in giving to grow in order to do the bathroom, once we'll just wait month after month as you give gifts and things like that. And when we have enough money, then we'll do the kitchen. And then once we pay for the kitchen, month after month as gifts come in, we'll do the sanctuary. If we're able to raise the amount of money we need in one year's time, then summer of 2020, we'll be out of this sanctuary so that the ceiling can be done over a few weeks' time. We'll get there as we get there, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to do it together. There's one more need that is not on your list, and I want you to write that down. Our faith. Is without you to have the faith to believe that God will take care of your family finances, you aren't going to be able to give to grow to support our church need to do these things. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that we can come together to worship you, and we look forward to what you will do and what you are doing in our church family. We ask your blessing on us now as we consider how we might give above and beyond our tithes to meet the needs of our growing church, to grow our faith, and to bring you glory. God, if there's anyone who needs to trust Christ as their Savior today, would they make that commitment? Anyone who needs to unite with this church family, would they make that commitment today? 
anyone you're calling to surrender their life to service. Even today, Father, would they do that? In Jesus' name we pray.